0: How are you this morning? Wonderful. Beautiful people. Uh, We're going to go back into Mark again today. We're going through a series that we're calling This Is Jesus. We've talked about it, that we have a conviction that in all times, but particularly in these times, uh, when a lot of the quality of our society and culture is very broken... Uh, full of fear and division. And uh, we think the most important thing for human beings to connect with is the person of Jesus Christ, because he is the one who truly brings us uh, what is true and what is right, gives us the power to live well in community with one another, uh, to seek to love God and love our neighbors. Uh, he tears down walls between enemies and makes them brothers and sisters. And so we want to know him, you know, not just about him, we want to know him. And this is what this is all about that we are seeking together to intentionally turn our faces toward God with receptivity, with open ears and open hearts and open minds and say, Lord, teach us, show us who you are, and let us see who we are in that light, both the difficult things, but also the tremendous and beautiful things what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. Amen? So we're going to go into Mark chapter 10. It's in the booklet if you want to follow along. Uh, Or if you have a Bible with you, whether that is paper or electronic, you can follow along there also. Mark chapter 10, 17 to 31. And here's what the gospel writer Mark tells us. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So I want to make a quick comment before we dig in, because uh, there's, there's this little section early on that the guy comes and says, good teacher, and it's a little controversial. People find this a little challenging when he says, you know, he gets called good, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This can often lead to this kind of conclusion that Jesus is saying that he's not God. Uh, You know, I've read a lot about this. Uh, Jesus, in the entirety of the New Testament, is proclaimed as being being God in the flesh, uh, without sin, even though tempted, etc. So, Once again, as Melody mentioned, we've got to be careful we don't take one small part and start making uh, extrapolations from a small verse without understanding the whole counsel of Scripture. So there's a lot of debate about what he means when he says, only God is good. One thing is perhaps he's just trying to turn this man's attention to God the Father. Uh, Another thing is we've noticed in Mark that Jesus seems a little bit uh, unwilling to let people know who he is. You know, he's telling people when he heals them, don't tell anybody, you know? He's trying to keep kind of a lid on his true identity because he has a whole mission to accomplish before things get serious. And that's coming when he is going to be truly revealed as the Lord um, with what results from that. Um, But just wanted to mention that first. Um, Because this morning, we're going to do this. We're going to ask together with this man who came to Jesus the question that he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Think about it now, this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Ask it, perhaps even as if for the first time, afresh, anew. What must I do to enter into this reality? And it's interesting, the question, you know, one big part of Bible study is just to look and see what words are there. And this question, this concept is woven all the way through the passage. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then we hear about treasure in heaven. We hear about entering the kingdom of God. We hear about being saved. And then once again, we hear in the age to come, eternal life. This is a, kind of the core of this passage. And if we believe that such a thing is possible then I think that every single one of us would want to know how to access this reality. And that was certainly the attitude of the man in the story. It's amazing just how Mark describes it uh, very intentionally. Jesus was on his way. A man ran up to him out of breath. Found you. Uh, And he fell on his knees before him. There's like, he's keen. And then he asked the question. There's an intensity. This man is all ears. He, he, he adopts a posture of openness. He seems genuine. He seems genuinely to believe that Jesus can help him answer this question. And I think that's an attitude to emulate for us. That eagerness to come with eagerness and say, tell me, Lord, I want to know. To go to the, the source with our questions. And I think this man senses a lack of security about this. At this point in his life, We're going to hear that he's actually been a very moral person, but there's something about him where he's not feeling the sense of security. And perhaps what he had heard about Jesus doing, he's comparing what he is experiencing with what seems to be happening in this community around this man, Jesus. And he feels somehow what he is experiencing is deficient and it's caused this doubt in his mind about what he is doing and where he is heading. What about us? Where is our confidence, our assurance where does that come from? It's amazing even the way Marcus set up this little story because it starts with a question from this man. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then it ends with the statement by Jesus giving assurance of that very thing. At the end, he says, they will receive eternal life in the age to come. So the 15 sentences between the question and this assurance of certainty are really important. There's something we need to pay attention to, which is the contents of how this thing might actually be true for us. I think the first thing we need to do as we consider this question is to define our terms. That's really important. You know, sometimes we talk to one another about all kinds of matters. And we use words, and perhaps we're not really agreed about what these words mean. Remember in the summer, we did words with friends. We were like, you know, maybe it's time to think about these words that Christians use all the time and, and evaluate. What do we think we're saying when we say these words? Is it meaningful? Is it is it able to be understood by people? Do we understand it? So defining our terms. So the first thing is, what is it that we think we are seeking? What is this thing that we are trying to attain do we understand what is meant by these words? Eternal life, the kingdom of God, salvation. Because if we don't know the target, it is unlikely that we will hit it. And if we don't know the destination, it is very unlikely that we will get there. We have to understand what it is that we're seeking and hoping to enter into. You know, whenever we read the Gospels, well, in fact, all the New Testament, but in the Gospels in particular, I think, because it's, it's really story, it's telling these stories about people around Jesus, there's three things I think we need to think about. The first one is, what is the understanding of the people in the story? What do they think they're talking about? Okay, first thing, in their culture, their time, it's important work to do, what do they think they're talking? What does this man think he's asking Jesus about? The second thing is, what do we, with our completely different modern context, think We are understanding about this concept. And lastly, and most importantly, we wanna figure out what is Jesus trying to have all of us understand about this concept? And that is the priority. Because the first two, the people in the story and culturally what they think they're doing and what we think we are doing are very kind of muddied by our own perspective and our own culture. There are many obstacles sometimes to a full true understanding. And Because we have these, this human culture, which is present then and present now, and it can cause us to get confused. The third aspect, however, Jesus's one is this different culture. It's a kingdom culture. And our task is to always try to be moving closer into alignment and conformity with Jesus' version, what he thinks these things mean, what he thinks they're all about. So what does this man think he is asking Jesus when he talks about his hope of the kingdom? So, I did a little study. What were people of that time thinking about when they talked about a kingdom and this hope that they had? And the question this man's asking how could I be sure that I'm part of this thing? Well, it's very much, he's a Jewish man, and the expectation and the hope was a time when God would once again rule over his people with justice and peace, and there would be no more oppression. And it was very much a national hope, a hope of Israel to finally be free and take their proper position again as the people of God. And it's kind of an earthly hope. Okay, so what about us? What do we often think about when it says eternal life? I think often it's simply this. It's, I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to go to heaven when I die. It's a heavenly hope. So maybe for Israel, it was more of a national and earthly hope and for us, it's often a simply, it's, it's an escape from earth. It's a heavenly hope. So, this is the first two, and they're very much to do with our culture. Third one, Jesus, what is Jesus' context of the kingdom of God? And in Mark, it takes a big place. And what it is for Jesus is that, uh, that it's really about the full lordship of God over every aspect of all of creation, his rightful place as ruler, as king, of lord, of heaven and earth. And a renewal of all things, that of the heavens and of the earth, to be restored and redeemed back to what it's supposed to be like. In the passage, Jesus says the present age and the age to come. It includes all of those, Jesus' kingdom now among us, which we are representing here this morning. We are living into the kingdom now with expectation that it will be fully realized in the age to come. So this is Jesus' view. It's not just about earth, and it's not just about heaven and earthly escape. It's about everything under the authority of this God who loves us. So how do we enter this kingdom? How do we enter into the kingdom of God? So the man asks Jesus this question, and Jesus doesn't give a very evangelical answer, let me say, he doesn't get his little tract out and say, if you ask Jesus into your heart, then you will be saved. What does he say? He refers to the Ten Commandments. He says, you know, young man, the ten, the, these commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony or lie, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Why would Jesus say this? I don't think it's any kind of trick question because Jesus regularly talks about the law as being good. There was nothing wrong with the law. What was wrong is our inability to keep it to the degree that we would attain somehow by our efforts, this perfection of righteousness before God. So what I think Jesus is doing, however, is creating a bridge from this man's current understanding the world he currently lives in and his understanding now so that he can then maybe hear the truth. He's creating kind of a common ground here of understanding by talking about it. It's like math. Who's, who here likes math? You guys know I hate math, right? Who's a math person? You know, it's basically, if you don't have the foundational stuff, right? You know, if you miss the first month of Math 101, you're not going to do very well on the rest, right? You got to understand the simple principles before you can move on to something a bit more complex, right? So I think he's creating this sense for this man that, okay, do these things, and causing the man to start to evaluate his life. So this process is starting, he's evaluating his life, but he's doing it in terms of of moral behavior, okay? And, and actually, when it comes to, like, the multiple choice quiz on the law, this man seems to score pretty highly, right? If he checks the boxes of murder and adultery and defrauding and lying and honoring his mother and father. And he says it, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Uh, yeah, I've done that. But I'm still feeling uneasy about this. You know, we could say that, well, of course he hasn't kept it perfectly, but I think it's an honest answer. I think he does, as much as he is able, he has been a moral person. He has been a respectable person. He has taken these words at face value, and he has tried to do them in every part of his life. But yet, he doesn't seem to feel that he is engaging in the way he should. You know, and I love what Jesus does next. He doesn't rebuke him He doesn't rebuke him and he doesn't question this man's response that he did that. Jesus knows this man. But Jesus will be not content to leave him in his current state of doubt. And he wants to move him forward. And here's what the text says. That Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's Jesus' response. I just love the grace of that, don't you? So many religious leaders would go like, I don't think you've kept the laws right? Jesus just is with him. He knows, and he looks at him, and he loves him. This is the only time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is said to actually love someone this is a pinnacle moment. This is a, like, a little moment in the history of all of humanity where something beautiful was happening in this connection between the created, this one, this, this person who's made by God and then God in, in the flesh in Jesus. He looked at him and he loved him and he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell He went away sad because he had great wealth. He had great wealth. Why was he so sad? What was going on there? You know, it's interesting. You you have this kind of set of laws. This man said, well, I have kept those. And you could really think that maybe Jesus here is just giving him three more laws to keep. Right? Sell your stuff now. Give some money to the poor and follow me. But no, what, what Jesus is doing at this point is getting to the heart of the matter because it's a matter of the heart. It's not about what he has not, chosen, not done externally. It's about what's happening in this man's heart. To what is it attached? To what is, does it have most affection, a love? Uh, what is the central place of his heart's desire? And that's what Jesus wants to find out. It's a heart check so Jesus looks at him, Jesus sees him, and Jesus loves him. And because Jesus loves him, he will tell him the truth, as hard as it might be. Jesus' understanding of the kingdom means a total giving of oneself to this kingdom, to this Lord. Full allegiance, full Entering into abandonment too. And this man was stuck. This man was stuck. Because he had this weight of, for him it was wealth. It was resources. It was uh, his possessions. That maybe it didn't start that way, but Jesus could see that somehow this was now something that he needed to divest himself of in order to move forward. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about cutting your hand off, plucking your eye out? And uh, I'm glad to see everyone has all both feet, both hands, and both eyes, as far as I can tell. No one took it too literally, right? But the concept was the life of the kingdom that Jesus presents and gives us is so important that nothing else matters in comparison to it. Not even really cool motorcycles. And it is better to let it go. And this man couldn't do it. You know that feeling? This is personal for us. This is not just about having money, right? This is a very unique and individual moment. This was this man's place of stuckness that prevented him from fully entering without condition into the kingdom of God. And I wonder what it is for us, but I think most of you have known that moment of crisis where you think God's calling you to let something go, and you don't want to, you know? I've never been there. I I always instantly obey God because I'm a pastor. It's simple for me. Yeah, Tara, do you believe me? Yeah, you know me enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amen. So this man was stuck, and Jesus saw him, and he loved him, and so he presented him with this opportunity. And that's what it was, an opportunity to exercise faith, to say, I believe that this kingdom is powerful. This kingdom is life. This kingdom is everything. And what I'm being asked to give up in comparison is really nothing because I will trust you because you are the Lord. So how, how do we enter the kingdom? The disciples are like freaked out. Once again, understanding the culture is really important because there was an understanding that to be wealthy at that time... Was to be righteous. Even in the Old Testament, we see some Old Testament characters, and there's somehow a correlation between their uh, earthly wealth and their favor with God. And so the disciples are kind of freaked out. They're like, This dude, he's got problems getting into the kingdom. What about us? We like don't have any kind of the, like, the benefit and the respectability. They're probably thinking, I don't think I've kept all the commandments. This dude did, but like, and he's wealthy. He's favored by God. And so they ask, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So here's how Jesus would tell us, we enter into this kingdom. It's two things. It is a gift to be received. It is a gift to be received. And it is a life to be embraced. It is a gift to be received and a life to be embraced. With man, this is impossible by our own effort, whether it's through moral behavior. It is God who makes the way And he offers it freely to all of us. Offers it freely to all of us. This man was feeling that things were complicated. I'm sure he, in his mind, his moral life, it's almost like the checklist, right? Where he's, he's keeping this balance of good and bad and exhausting self-examination constantly to see if he had imp- infringed on any kind of law that would cause him to be diminished in his ability to be a righteous person. And Jesus is telling him, step off of that treadmill and come to me and I will freely give you life. Because with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So it's a gift to be received. Our part is simply to surrender. We surrender. God's part is then he adopts us, he redeems us, he transforms us, and he brings us resurrection. The second thing, a life to be embraced. You know, I think it's interesting that Jesus gave this man this specific command to sell all that he owned and then give to the poor, it doesn't say give everything to the poor, but it says be generous to the poor, and follow me. And and really, this man, what he pointed to, in response to Jesus, as far as why he should be able to enter the kingdom, was what he had not done. Okay, I have not murdered, I have not committed adultery, I have not been a liar, I have not defrauded people, and Jesus is calling him to something completely different. He's calling him to positive action to forward motion into the kingdom by concrete action. And, and so to sell your things is to say like, this is not valuable enough compared to what I risk losing and I'm going to divest myself of it because I'm going to trust what Jesus said. The second thing is we'll be generous to the poor. Matthew and Luke fill in details about this man. We hear that he's rich here. Matthew tells us that he is young. You know how foolish young people are, right? No, right? Okay. Okay. And then he is a ruler. So he's actually a man of power. Think about this. If the kingdom, as Jesus said, is composed of all of the people, the fact that he specifically says give to the poor would lead him into a community and an experience of community that he's never encountered before, right? He's a ruler. He is wealthy. He is separated from the greater community, and Jesus says, Go and give to the poor. It's th- so it's an embracing of the kingdom to be with the people who formerly he was able to be distant from, lording it over, being greater than him. So it's a gift, and it is a life to be embraced. So finally, a question Are we willing to listen to Jesus? To trust him? And by our obedience, put our trust into action to follow Jesus, to embrace this countercultural life of a disciple. Jesus looks at us and he loves us and he communicates to us those things which are hindrances to our full engagement with the work he is doing in his kingdom right now. And that's very individual. As I said, today's message is not whatever you've got in the bank, get rid of it and give it to the poor. It is very individual. What, what places are, might we be stuck from entering fully into the kingdom of God? And I love Peter. Who else here loves Peter, the disciple? Because he's like, he's always speaking out. He says, we have left everything to follow you. What's, you know, he's like, yeah, we've done that. And I love that Jesus just honors that. They did leave their homes, their families, their fishing nets, their business. And he's saying, and, and somehow it could be, though, that Peter's going like, whew, we did it. We have achieved it. We did the leaving thing, kind of like that guy you said to do it. He didn't do it. He went away sad because he had lots of wealth. We did it. So here we are. Cool. <laughs> what Jesus wants them to know is this is a process. This is ongoing. This is your allegiance to the kingdom of God was going to cause this to be a continued process uh, of of a a diminishment almost of my desires, my wishes, my will, and an embracing of what God's desire and his wishes and his will is for me. But he tells them that that even though you give up these things, they're nothing compared to what you will get. And, And this is, again, an example of what this is. You know, you give up family or friends or lands or wealth, and you gain a hundredfold, he said, in fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. New family, but also, he says, persecutions. Why couldn't he keep that bit out, right? So a new family, but it comes at a cost, he says, Understand that, yeah, there is wonderful things about the kingdom, but count the cost. This, is, this whole section is about discipleship, and he's saying, it's not an easy thing that you're doing. You're stepping into something that will cost you, but you will experience that cost with others. There'll be new challenges, but there'll be new life. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. Each one of us, I think, I think we're serious about this. I think I'm, I'm excited about that. I think we're serious about this. We understand that we are frail. We're not strong. Each one of us alone, you know, we all have our challenges, our struggles. We all have our moments where we're like, no, God, I'm going to keep your arm's length right now. This just feels too much to ask me. But we're all on that journey and we're doing it together. And the more that we have this common life where we take it seriously, the more our community will see something different, something remarkable. And then potentially, as they see Jesus in our midst, they might look at, like this young man did, the quality of how they are sustaining themselves, what they are trying to experience as far as hope, and they will feel the same dissatisfaction with their status quo. And just as that young man came, they will come and they'll be saying, share with me, What it is, because I don't really know what's happening, but this seems different, and I want to be part of this. I want to be part of this. So I just want to say, you guys are wonderful. That's being here this morning. You gave up something to come here. I gave up sleep. Although I did, I did set my alarm. I got up so super early. I set my alarm for a 15 minute nap before I came here, tired, right? What did you give up to come here? What do you give up to serve God? What do you give up when you financially contribute to ministry? You're choosing this rather than that. And let me tell you, there is nothing to compare with what you will encounter and experience as you do so. But there will always be a bit of a resistance and that's okay. That's when we say, like we heard weeks ago, Lord, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And we do that together. We have not yet arrived, but we are in process, and that is beautiful. And I think God is really pleased with what's happening here right now, what's happening in our community. The kingdom is here, the kingdom is here. It's a gift. And it is a new life to embrace. To be a disciple. We're going to have communion now. Which is the best place to come to kind of respond with a physical act, you know. We're going to eat some, a little bit of bread. We're going to drink a little bit of wine. No, it's grape juice. And we're going to in our own way, at his invitation, come to the table and say, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want this in my life. Even though we don't know what the future holds, as Jesus and his friends gathered around the table, Jesus alone really knew what was coming. He really knew the strength of these men that he invited to the table, but yet he invited them to partake with him in this because he trusted that God would work it out and God would bring them to where they needed to be. All we have is Christ and he is sufficient. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. There's that hunger, right? That dissatisfaction that we try and fill with all kinds of things and they just simply Abandon us. Leave us empty again. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. As family, as brothers and sisters, dearly loved, you invited us to come. It's impossible for us, but with you, all things are possible. We rejoice that your work is good, that you are faithful. Even in our unfaithfulness, you continually call us back. You forgive. We take this bread remembering that it was your broken body that has brought us life, both now and evermore. Amen. And Lord, we give you thanks for the radical truth that our sin has been taken from us. There is no more condemnation. We do not need to be ashamed or hide in the shadows. Lord, you are the one that sees us perfectly, loves us eternally, and cleanses us completely. Therefore, we can have courage to live boldly Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Amen. And let us continue from our hearts to affirm our desire to follow Jesus by singing together as a community. Let's sing.